Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today on Housing Wire Daily, my guest is lead analyst Logan Modashami to talk about a potential mortgage rate lockdown, along with home price growth, demographics, and of course, the problem at the center of it all, inventory. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. Always great to have you on. Okay, let's talk. Our One of our main topics today is, are we in a mortgage rate lockdown? So that's my first question to you. Tell us what a mortgage rate lockdown means to you, and are we in one? Yes, it's to me, it's a very, very interesting dynamic because historically, I've actually never believed in the mortgage rate lockdown premise just because we've never had rates go high enough and long enough uh, uh, to change the type of behavior that I, I would need to see for a, a mortgage rate lockdown uh, premise. And uh, it, it's really... Uh, uh, when people think of mortgage rate lockdown is that everybody has such a low rate, but when mortgage rates rise uh, uh, fast enough, high enough, and it stays there, it changes behavior uh, of, of new listings data or inventory coming onto the market. Um, and I've never, I've never kind of bought into that just because we've never had a time where mortgage rates shot up so fast <clears throat> and stayed high long enough. But for the first time ever, and I was curious about this when rates got past uh, 6%, can this be the first stage of a mortgage rate lockdown, uh, which to me would be really the first time in history? Uh, and and when, I, when I think about what, what happened in 2020 to 2021, so many people refinanced. Half the country uh, really have rates 4% or below. Um, you know, about 13% or less have rates the 3% or below. So th- these these households are doing great. It's been a big part of my uh, talking points over the years. Uh, you, you have a fixed debt product, your wages rise over the years, you refinance, your cash flow looks great. But I never really bought into the mortgage rate lockdown just because we have traditional sellers each year. Uh, that selling group has been less and less over the last eight years, but they, they list their homes and we see the seasonality impact of, of that. But we've never really had a time where rates just jump up 3% uh, with so many people just refinance, except this year. So I, I was mindful of this to see if I could see a change of behavior. And for the first time ever, I could actually connect the dots here to a possible mortgage rate lockdown that to me still, you know, the scientific guy in me that says you need this to happen two or three years to really have it test out. You can't take uh, just a one short term event. So of course, next year is going to be very critical at looking at this. But when mortgage rates went from five to 6%, it, it shot up very quickly. Over 5% is relatively new for everyone that's been buying and selling homes, you know, uh, post-2010. We've actually never uh, broke above that. The last time we got to 5% was in 2018, uh, and that was very brief. Um, But when rates spiked up, 
new listings data started to decline late June into early July. That correlates with the rate spike. Then what happened was that mortgage rates fell one and a quarter percent, and the new listing data fell with it, um, which was kind of troubling for me. Again, for me, my, my thing is uh, I, I'm all about needing more supply to have a functioning housing market. So uh, that was somewhat troubling to me. But I was trying to say, okay, is, is this going to keep on continuing? Because the seasonality of inventory is really by kind of October, total inventory t- starts to fall. And then, you know, the end of kind of July, you start to see a cool down in, in the growth rate uh, uh, of listings. Did it happen this year? Boy, we just went every week, new listings got worse and worse and worse. And the and the newest data has um, new listings down. This is from Redfin, 17.5% year over year. And we're not we're not talking like working from elevated levels historically. I mean, we have, of course, inventory increased, but to have noticeable declines, you know, there's parts of the U.S. When you look at it, they're down 20 percent, 25 percent year over year on new listings. So, of course, for myself, um, I've always talked about the the notion of panic selling. Uh, panic selling started in October of 2021 uh, because that's what housing grifters do. Uh, they try to install fear. They think educated, positive cash flow Americans. Uh, we're going to run to the market to sell to get out because being homeless was an option for them uh, or selling your home and renting at a higher cost, an option for them. Some people might do that. Yes. But uh, in theory, it's never actually occurred. We have a forced selling uh, historical data that happened in 2006 to 2011. But the history of people running to the market, 7 to 10 to 15. And the reason I use these uh, uh, numbers, because the household formation and the housing units, our total housing units are 143 million. So there's that aspect. And then there's, you know, there's so many investors. Investors will also rush to the market and all sell because they're panicked. And yeah, if that was the case, we would see actual inventory growth grow in toward the end of the year, which was also talked about a lot. I'm willing to forgive that one because, you know, when demand, uh, you know, when rates go up higher, uh, inventory can accumulate over time. That, that, that to me is a, is a very valid working premise. But now that new listings are falling, obviously there's not enough panic investors or there's not enough panic homeowners, but there are those who actually pull back. And for me, it's not a positive because you want a functioning market, but this is something we can't really have happen in bigger scale. Um, I, I enjoy the functionality of those that are selling their homes, uh, the uh, price reductions and the functioning buyer versus seller marketplace to, to sell the property is good in that context. But it's not, it's not something that you want to see because if rates stay high and new traditional listings don't grow next year, we're going to have a standoff that's going to be very frustrating. And again, uh, people who follow my work, I always talk about the worst thing I can think of happen for housing is being stuck. And being stuck means that sellers don't really budge. Buyers don't really budge. We have millions of homes bought each year, but we don't have a functioning inventory system. And the parts of the area that are over 2019 uh, inventory levels or, or around there, 
They have more choices. I think healthy, Boise healthy, Phoenix healthy, you know, uh, buyers and sellers have a working market. Then there's the majority of the country that don't uh, uh, have that. And that is the savagely unhealthy housing market. So um, it's noticeable enough for me to, to start to connect the dots. And it's also noticeable for me that, uh, boy, if rates stay high and new listing people just go, you know, I really have a good situation and I don't feel like buying a home. You know, home prices are up this year. Uh, uh, so it's not like you have the benefit of declining home prices to offset the higher rates. So in that regards, it's uh, it's frustrating to watch. And it's something that, I, you know, in the back of my head, it's like, this better not happen. Uh, and it is currently this year. So I think what we need to look at uh, is, is the 5 to 6% level uh, in mortgage rates hindering some people from listing? Because why? A traditional seller, primary resident, 75 to 82% of the times, is a buyer of a home. Uh, millions of people buy and sell homes each year. We always get traditional listing growth every single year. My whole inventory could get back to 2019 levels next year if higher rates uh, stay stay there is the accumulation of all the new listings each year, right? Uh, days on market grow, and then you could get back up there, which is you know, functionally four decades low, but it's a normal market. But now, boy, I just think everything else has kind of gone wrong. Uh, uh, this is the last thing I wanted to see, and it's happening. Uh, and now that we're in September and the latest data is still showing year-over-year declines. And when I talk about the, the even the new listings data uh, has seasonality uh, uh, factors to it, it's just that this started earlier. This correlated with the jump in rates and the decline year-over-year is faster uh, than we would traditionally see. Well, and that, that's what I think. When when I think of a mortgage rate lockdown, it's not that mortgage rates are, I mean, traditionally, we're still pretty low on mortgage rates. I mean, even if we're above six, right? I mean, you think about back when it was 11 or 13, or, or we've seen much higher rates, you know, decades ago. The problem is the recency to the refi boom. So so it's those two things in concert. It's not, it's not that mortgage rates are so incredibly high. They're so incredibly high compared to what everybody refied at. And why would they want to move? Yeah, and it's also the total principal and interest taxes and insurance cost of moving. Um, you know, there is, uh, you know, when people say, well, mortgage rates are low historically. Well, the thing is that we just had 44% national home price growth in less than three years. So you, if you are trying to move up, that home that you're buying also went up. If you're trying to move down, not an issue. Right, you've got you're you're buying cheaper. So if you have selling equity, uh, then you know you can sell the house at the price that you need to sell it, and then six percent mortgage rates not a problem. You've got 60 percent down in a cheaper area. That's you know I'm not so much concerned about that group, but the move up buyers was a big thing for me in this decade, right? We just have more people ages 30 to 39. So it goes back to traditional talking points in the last 10 years. People rent, they date, they mate, they get married three and a half years after marriage. You have kids, your average marriage age is 28 to 29. Then you go into the 30s and you're kind of um, mid to young 30s. You have your child. If you have a home that's not big enough, you move, right? Uh, Without COVID, without work from home, this, this should occur. So that is 
uh, something that uh, uh, I'd been banking on. And the only thing that could ruin that would be a, in theory, a mortgage rate lockdown that I never believed we even could have because rates never spiked up high enough from a low base. And it's a concern of mine. Uh, and that's why I've always said that the month of September, we really need to start looking at the new listings data because it's really October that total listings start to fall. I know the last week uh, data, total inventory fell a little bit, but uh, we need a functioning marketplace. Uh, uh, and uh, in, in this regard, it might have been not beneficial for rates to have spiked up that fast. If it would have been a little bit more slower process, um, Somebody that pulled a, pulled earlier in the year could have said, you know, at four and a half, it's it's workable. At five, you know, it's workable. Oh my god, it just shot up to six. Oh hell no, because it, there's a time, right? There's a seasonality of listings as well. It's not like you know you can drop everything. Uh, you know, one of the things I've made fun of over the years is this notion called a sideline home buyer. Great marketing gimmick doesn't exist, right? American citizens sitting there. <gasps> Rates went up one eighth. Oh my God, honey, put everything down. <laughs> we have to go fill out a mortgage application because we are a sideline homebuyer. Does not. It's a great God. Twelve years I've seen this marketing gimmick doesn't work that way. People just don't react to the major purchase and changing of their homes because they saw some commercial that said mortgage rates went up one, you know, quarter of a percent. So there's seasonality factors of inventory. That's why I. I tell people, let's focus on this because the spring and summer, we should get the traditional uh, inventory growth that we do every single year because there's always traditional listings here. And uh, and I'm hearing, you know, I'm even hearing divorce attorneys saying that, oh, it's a little bit problematic now that rates are up so much and, you know, nobody wants to sell that house and go buy. So it's just... you know, the, the, you know, back in 2013, when rates spiked up from three and a half to four and a half percent, that was the taper tantrum, and and mortgage purchase applications fell right away, and adjusting to population, it was the lowest levels ever in 2014. The Federal Reserve back then thought, you know what, that that went so fast that it's not it's not a functioning marketplace. Now they're not in the mortgage uh, uh, backed securities market, so the pricing is actually worse. You know. As I talked to you today, the 10-year yield is around you know 3.26, roughly where it was at the peak of uh, 2018. But mortgage rates are one to one and eighth a higher uh, pricing-wise. So it, it's something that I think we all just need to be mindful of a little bit more. Again, I'm I've never put too much stock into the mortgage rate lockdown premise just because of the natural sellers we see. But uh, this definitely got my attention in July. And I was, you know, like all data people, you need to see uh, a series of months of this to become a trend. You just can't take one or two weeks. And now that we're in September and now we're starting to get into the seasonality factor, we need to see if this is a legit thing and to think about that next year. Uh, um, Because again, household formation, homeowners bought homes, live in their homes longer and longer. Their cash flows are good, in a sense, a great hedge against inflation. Uh, they don't really give that up unless they need to. And if some of those people just said, oh, man, I'm, I'm just going to wait. Oh, it's just more problematic for my uh, balance premise. So let's talk about demographics a little bit, because it's been a while since we talked about it. And this is one of the keys of your whole model is, is you know, recognizing early on, actually, 
more than a decade ago, just, just looking at like the demographics of when people, we had this, this big spike of millennials who were going to come into home buying age. And you always, you know, marked out the years 2020 to 2024. So we're halfway through that, a little bit more than halfway through that. You know, at, at you, you talk about there's no sideline borrowers, but it sounds like millennials who are being priced out are the new sideline borrowers. Well, uh, you know, buyers. when I talk about, you know, in the previous, the previous expansion, uh, my main talking point, we would have the weakest housing recovery ever. Um, uh, mortgage purchase application, that, that data line won't hit 300 until years 2020 to 2024, hit 300, uh, the first part of the uh, uh, decade. Housing starts will never get to 1.5 million until you build your household formation up, right? And then, you know, um, you get a little bit of boost from that once in a lifetime uh, millennial group that's the biggest in history. So those who can't buy are renting, right? And unless you're a month to month rent, you know, you, one year is less, you know, it, it the, the velocity of, of just picking up your stuff and moving you know, you're usually good to go. You're ready to go. You're just waiting, right? In a sense, that's not a sideline home buyer. In a sense, that's somebody just, uh, you know, if I find the house I like, you know, and, and mortgage rates come back down again, then, you know, I'll pull the trigger. But that to me is a, what I call is a natural flow buyer, right? Uh, a sideline home buyer is somebody that did not really just think of buying, but something happened in that week to change their minds up. I think there's there's millennials who just can't afford uh, to buy now, and I think uh, some of the uh, factors for them is do they relocate to an area that is cheaper? You know, so uh, that's the, the, that's a different uh, uh, different topic by itself. But again, the work from home really put that uh, uh, into steroids uh, because you can, in, in a sense, do your current job to a degree and 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 pick where you want to live. And again, a lot of this is is kids, right? Uh, it was all based on kids. That's why I talk about sex and kids all the time. It's such a huge thing in in economics and housing. You know, uh, you don't live in apartments. You know, when you're building a family, you know, you, uh, condos might be too small or a single family home that's older. You know, twelve hundred square foot. Maybe you need nineteen hundred square foot. Uh, so that that is the traditional seller. Or traditional buyer that always comes in uh, to the marketplace. There's millennials that you know uh, sold their first home and then buying something bigger. And the move up buyer is is then again uh, what we see the millennials now, the older millennials, which are over forty now. God, I'm old now, um, but uh, it's uh, uh, they're there, right? And of course, we see the rent inflation take off. I mean, we we have to like understand. What a historic event it was from 2020 to 2020 to have this kind of home price inflation and rent inflation at the same time. And again, if you saw the inventory data and then you saw the rental vacancy data, it's like, hmm, boy, that's, that's a very easy chart to read. Uh, what were people thinking, right? Uh, and uh, hopefully, again, new listings data follows its seasonal trend next year. And we don't have such a tug of war. We have people just go, hey. But again, the problem is, you know, if you're a seller and you're a buyer, that means you functionally know that rates are at this level and you can afford a house. If you can't afford a house, then it's not a mortgage rate lockdown in a sense. It's I can't afford a house, right? Uh, so I think there's a, there's a good distinction we have to have between those two. If you can't afford a house now because home prices have gone up so much and rates have gone up, 
uh, rates might not come down low enough for you to be able to afford. You're you're just in your own. You're in a spot right now where it's a portability issue. The mortgage rate lockdown is people just don't want to give up that uh, payment. So it's something to keep an eye on, especially early next year, especially in spring. Uh, we want to keep a track of the new listings data. Naturally, inventory does grow. Spring and summer falls and fade uh, fades in the fall and winter. Uh, but it, it's not an encouraging sign because uh, that's the last thing I wanted to see is even the fact that I'm working on a mortgage rate lockdown premise is, is, is not not good in my eye. It shows you where we are. Okay, one more question on demographics. So the chart that you love to show uh, from the Census Bureau, it's like that blobby chart. And it has this big part that sticks out uh, for millennials. And that's where you plotted the 2020 to 2024. So you have all those millennials hitting age, and maybe they're just a little bit priced out. Do you feel like it pushes that that 2024 into 2025, because depending on where rates are, I mean, they still are, they still want to form households. They just may not be able to buy a house right now. You know, we're still going to have over 5 million total home sales this year uh, uh, in America. So I think some context uh, to the baby boomer time uh, in the late seventies, the baby boomers existing home sales went from 2 million to 4 million. And then from 4 million to 2 million, when once rates rose and the recession happened, so we are, you know, total home sales new and existing are over 5 million. So there are people buying still, right? Uh, um, the existing home sales market traditionally does not break under 4 million uh, post-1996. We, we authentically only had that happen really in, in, in 2008, just for a few months. So if sellers don't sell to buy and then you have an affordability, the, the sales uh, uh, decline can go even lower because I, I still think people forget that sellers, for the most part, are buyers. So you you need them in the marketplace. If there is some delay, you know, uh, I I don't think that really pushes the that demographic chart another year. Not everyone can buy a home, right? Uh, but uh, millennials were always the biggest buyers in America the last you know six seven years. They started buying in 2013, and they rode up all the way to 2022 as the biggest buyers. If you look at the percentage breakdowns, you could see uh, how big they are in the marketplace. So they they always tend to buy, uh, and not everywhere in the country has like a massive affordability crisis. Uh, so, but I don't believe that moves the needle because so many have bought already. And then again, there's to me, there's always one third of the society that never buys homes. Uh, they, they don't make enough money. Uh, so uh, I, I have a firm 2024 line for a reason. And, uh, you know, if, if home sales had been below 4 million or something to that, uh, con- to that context, then maybe it's a, a, a year delay or something if rates came back down. But I, I stick to that premise uh, uh, with, with everything I got because when I think of years 2020 to 2024, I don't think of it as a housing boom or a sales boom. And if you look at purchase application data, guess what? We never had a credit sales boom. Uh, we're below 2008 levels today. And uh, the days on market are at all-time lows. I think that's the that's the most puzzling thing for people. When they see sales declining and they see the days on market at all-time lows, they don't understand that, right? Of course not, because... In theory, you should be back up to 100 days like we saw during the housing crash. The only difference is that total inventory levels are still basically at all-time lows and you adjust it to the population. 
So whatever product is being sold, right, it relatively leaves quickly compared to that period of time that has a vast amount of products and demand was weaker in relationship to uh, how strong it was in that run-up. So um, I call them replacement buyers. You know, I don't I don't say housing boom because every year you have move-up buyers, move-down buyers, first-time home buyers, cash buyers, investors. You put them all together, you got that solid demographic base. But it's not like what we saw from 2002 to 2005, where credit facilitated uh, so much of that demand group. That was the FOMO housing market back then. People are saying this was, yeah, no, no. Uh, and hopefully, when I when I do those purchase application uh, charts and I draw those lines, those those lines there are drawn for a reason. It's to show you that we can never have the market of 2002 to 2005, uh, no matter what kind of demographics we have. We just don't have that kind of uh, total population growth or um, credit growth. Uh, credit is back to normal. It's very stable. It's healthy. Uh, but it doesn't facilitate kind of the uh, speculative debt command that we saw back then. So walk me through this. If if every year we sell about 4 million homes, right, then what is the pro- why is it savagely unhealthy if we're still on track to do that? Because the home price growth accelerated beyond anything we've seen in, in modern day history. And if you have accelerated home price growth, unless your wages really go with that, uh, what it becomes is you're eating into affordability uh, faster. Uh, and, and I was asked this question earlier, like, why are you so worried about home price growth? And I said that when you have inventory this low, you're forcing American citizens to bid on a home. And bidding on a home means prices accelerate beyond what would be normal or sustainable. This is why I had that 23% home price growth models specifically for here, just in case, just in case inventory broke to all-time lows, how to measure that. So naturally, after year two, that model broke. Uh, going back to the summer of 2020, said, what can change the housing market? Well, a 10-year yield above 1.94% can't. Okay, so even if we had just 3% home price growth, the marginal home buyer gets hit. So you got hit on both sides in the biggest fashion in history. So you have this big sales decline uh, uh, on a percentage, but it's not, we, you know, we haven't broken uh, existing home sales under 4 million. Uh, and, and again, I, I think it's, 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 it's such a unique housing market where days on market are still so low. And, and you look at the purchase application data, it's like, well, it really is below 2008 levels. Why is an inventory at 4 million? Because that's the traditional non-housing version of looking at housing economics. That's what stock traders do. Uh, stocks can sell very quickly and then they can decline, right? Here you have a seller that needs a form of shelter. Part of the savagely unhealthy housing market is we're stuck. We're still below 2019 levels. I will take the savagely unhealthy housing market off. If we could get back to 1.52 to 1.93 million, the areas of the country that are above 2019 levels, perfectly fine, healthy. I love that. I love those markets because it's choices, right? Nobody's forced to bid, right? It's buyer, seller. It's a function. That's why the 2019 housing market of pricing was so great. Real home prices were slightly negative. You know, it was a very functioning market, 30 days plus. People had choices. That was nobody liked that market because the homes weren't selling fast enough. But still, it was. It, that's what economics is about. You want a functioning marketplace. That's why I always use the 2019 levels, and that's why I will still say savagely unhealthy 
for areas, parts, because so much of the country is still below 2019 levels. And that's why the national data looks weird because all the attention is Boise and Phoenix and uh, in other areas. And then there's like everywhere else, it's like not much inventory growth. So the national data is, is there's majority of the country that's still trying to work up there. And then there's parts of the country that were so hot, you know, price wise that they're going to get impacted much harder. We definitely have seen this week, even just the continuing argument online and, and also in published pieces um, in, in other publications about how we're going to have uh, home prices drop so precipitously and, oh, this is the start of everything. And, and not just, you know, housing crash people. I mean, there's other people talking about this. And yes, you know, we uh, Black Knight uh, released a report this week that like, yes, the, the home price growth in July over June, it fell like 1%, but it, it's still growing. It just is not growing as fast. What do you say to those people? There's some very uh, high profile people saying that like, you know, we're in for this big correction. What does a correction mean when we've had home prices come so far off a, a base of say 2019? Here's, here's, you know, here's an interesting talking point. Uh, Ivy Zellman from Zellman Associates did a two year price target decline. I think accumulative is 9%. And a lot of housing crash addicts were joining on her um, on her on her train ride in in 2021 because she brought brought it up you know can we see panic selling or can can investors flood the market and home prices are up I think even Ivy Zellman had this year ending at 10 percent here's how I would explain uh, home prices and rates whenever rates rise the growth rate of pricing falls this happened in 2013 14 it happened in 2018 and 19. What you need for price declines with duration is you need that second year of weakness and demand and for rates to stay high. Then you can have price declines in places that are above 2019 levels. This is why uh, earlier in the year when I went on Altos Research, I said, okay, so I only do price forecasting at the, uh, at the end of the year. But if you wanted to run a model, you need inventory back to 2019 levels. So the areas that are seeing kind of uh, price cuts are at 2019 levels, really. Uh, um, but to get the duration, right, you need the second year of weakness uh, because the seller has to sell the price. They have to adjust to the price cuts. And what do American home sellers are stingy? They're not the home builders. The home builders will cut, do whatever it takes to get that product because why? They don't want that product to stay on their books unsold, right? So they have all these profit margins. They could, they could cut, they can incentivize, they'll get it done. Home sellers in America are... Are different, right? You know, everyone thinks their homes are higher, and and you know, uh, agents don't really want to be the person that are aggressively cutting, and so there's this whole functionality of home sellers that takes a little bit more time. This is why I say that always wait for the second year of weakness, and then it follows a traditional trend. Like for example, in 2019, let's say mortgage rates didn't go down uh, in 2019. Uh, 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 let's say home prices in 2017 and 18 were up, you know, uh, 30, 40%. If mortgage rates would have gone from five to 6% in, in uh, uh, 2019, and with that kind of price growth, prices would have been down, right? That's how you create these price growth models and working with it. So you, you, you create a functioning system because you're dealing with buyers and sellers who are not in forced selling, Right. So it's a traditional process. Right. Because a seller isn't going to, oh, by the way, take 40% of my wealth. 
uh, right now. Just take it, you know, take it, honey. We're, we're going to get out of this house. Uh, Dan, you're selling it below the mortgage. I don't think the bank's going to go for that. Oh, okay. Right. So it doesn't really work that way. You know, I think a lot of people forget that, that, you know, a bank is actually not going to let you sell that much down. You know, it would have to be a short sale. So it's it's just a functioning pricing marketplace. So I actually love, I, you, Sarah, look at my smile. I love the inventory above 2019. It is a joyful thing for me. Uh, uh, And it's something I, 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 I want to embrace nationally. Uh, But that's how the pricing mechanism works. And that's why I would say that. Let's get on the national side. Let's get 2019 inventory levels at four months of supply. Then we can go there. Um, because here is the thing. Housing is moved by what? Rates, right? Uh, uh, and uh, my concern is that if, because I have all six of my recession red flags up, if mortgage rates start to fall, let's say toward 4%, then the inventory growth that we have seen, demand will soak that up. So it could stall the growth pause the growth, and reverse it. And while we're under 2019 levels nationally, I don't want to see that. We need to create a buffer, right? Uh, uh, at least something, because I don't believe we could have a sales or credit boom. I believe the affordability hit is legit. So I'm not worried about home sales just like ripping higher like they did from 2002 to 2005. But we just need to get a little higher inventory so we create more of a stable marketplace. And that's why I'm excited to see the places that have over 2019 inventory. Uh, there are price cuts. There are a functioning marketplace. We have so much price growth you know, since 2020. The deviation from historical norms are so bad. So you want a functioning marketplace that works together. And that's how buyers and sellers work, right? That's, that's perfectly normal and it's a good thing. Uh, uh, it, this is not like, you know, we have... 10 to 15 million loans that are delinquencies and forced sellers and all that. No, we're good. We, we don't have to worry about that. And that's part of the uh, uh, February of 2021 premise of, you know, we probably need higher rates to cool this down because we've always had that kind of equilibrium between three and a half to 5% rates. It never allowed prices to really take off here. Inventory is so low that there's really nothing we could have done. And even this year, Right. Think about it. Everyone. Home sales are declining. Right. Uh, uh, Why is why are we going to have total national prices up this year? It's just because we worked from a very low bottom and we're just working our way back to normal. Normal is good because we want people to buy homes, have families. You know, that's that's the way it is. Uh, The housing market isn't going to go away. Right. It's not a canceled Netflix show. Right. It's going to be here every single year. Even if you died next year, the housing market will be here. Right. So we uh, uh, want a functioning marketplace. And as soon as we cracked below 2020, it was like, oh, boy, this isn't good. Uh, And hopefully everyone can understand, you know, one of the kind of long term uh, data trackers we have on Twitter, he was uh, he tweeted out something that he said, you know, there was nobody that was more bullish on housing, especially in 2020 than I was. Right, just because you know the demographics were going to be different, but there was no one that was also more timely in his concern and warning about housing. You know, and it was just like, oh boy, great U.S. recovery's back, the America back is recovery's done, checked. Oh boy, inventory. Oh boy, you know that's why the if it seemed like I was panicking on prices, you know, especially early 2021, is that we believe reading is a good thing, and if anybody saw the inventory levels, they're like. Oh boy, that's not good. 
And uh, hopefully that people can understand why that, you know, we want a functioning marketplace. We want buyers and sellers to work with each other. And once you get inventory above 2019, it's good, right? Those markets, you don't see crazy bidding in those markets anymore for a reason, right? More supply, positive for the United States of America and all buyers uh, uh, that don't have to bid for housing anymore. Fingers crossed on inventory. That is what we're looking for. That's what we hope to see. Um, we're just about out of time here. So I know uh, you're going to be looking at the consumer price index comes out um, this week. We're looking ahead to the uh, Fed meeting next week. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's it's getting really exciting on the uh, uh, growth rate of inflation. You know, the, uh, the Shanghai uh, freight index, the pricing of that is almost back to the kind of the pre-COVID spike levels. Uh, the growth rate of uh, rent inflation, which is going to kind of lag the BLS data. Uh, uh, we see the growth rate of, uh, of rents coming down. Of course, that I mean, it's still rising. It's just rising less. Uh, of course, gasoline prices are down. So again, we, we still have that variable of war. We don't know what's going to go on. Uh, so there are some encouraging signs on the growth rate of inflation. Uh, uh, but again, you know, when you, when you have such a spike in the cost of living, and again, you know, if you look at the, some of the wage growth data, it's, it's, it's also spiked as well. Help on that side is beneficial, right? And you can see this, some of the economic data is firmed up, right? Uh, jobless claims have come down a little bit. Uh, retail sales were positive. You know, that, that in, in the growth rate of inflation falling is, is a good thing, right? So uh, I think the Federal Reserve just, you know, they thought this was the case in the summer of 2021, and it, it didn't happen. So this is part of the reason why they're so gun-ho uh, they want to raise rates and kill demand and make sure that, you know, inflation comes down. And so a lot of people say, well, we see some of the data getting lower. They need it to go a lot lower uh, to make sure that their price stability mandate uh, is met at 2%. Logan, as always, thanks so much for breaking down all of these things that we're looking at. We'll have you on again in a couple of days, as we always do. Um, thank you for your time. Pleasure to be here, Sarah. have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.